would uh, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and let me just read into our hearing the, uh, the last part of the chapter as God speaks to us men as husbands. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make... Hang on. I don't know how that happened. My Bible just jumped two pages over. It's it's amazing. Starting at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word as as it goes forth this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, it's this Advent season that we look forward to being reminded once again of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, you prepare our hearts as we ponder the miracle of God becoming flesh. Father, we praise you as the God who has loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, you loved us before we were ever able to love you. Your love was a sovereign love, a love that goes back before the creation of time. Your love is an unconditional love that came to us and sacrificed all that we might not only be forgiven but be called the sons of the living God. Father, we are grateful that you're the God who sits and listens and hears the prayers of your people. And so, Father, we come before the throne of grace and and we pray today. We, We pray for Mary's stepdad. I just heard good news that he's doing better this morning. And pray for his continual strength and healing from COVID. Pray for uh, the Duncan's niece and the good news there that she's doing, he's doing better and her nephew. And pray, Lord, that, that he would be uh, strengthened to renewed health. Father, we pray for uh, the families of Redeeming Grace Church. Lord, we're grateful for the husbands that are here. We pray you'd help us as men to, to lo- learn what it means to Love our wives as Christ loves His church. We pray for wives and children that You would strengthen our families. We pray for uh, Caden Newswanger, Lord, and thank You that he's here with us today and and the blessing of of, of new life that You brought into this world, especially to that family. So I pray, Lord, You would have mercy on us this morning. Not only help the preaching, but help us in hearing Your Word. I pray you would shut out any distraction that would keep our hearts from drifting away from the central truth of love. 
I pray you'd cause us to be attentive. I pray, Lord, that Christ would be exalted in our midst. I pray, Lord, that the marriages of our church would become strong and examples to the world of the love that Christ has for his church. May you receive the glory. Lord, if there's homes here where there's strife, I pray for peace. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon each family, each person here this day. Lord, guide us, direct us, open our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. With more than half the marriages today breaking up into divorce, uh, there's a lot working against your marriage today. You're here today, married, husband, wife, hopefully worshiping together. And there, there's forces at play to rip your marriage apart. There's, a, there's the inward enemy of the flesh. You saw last week there's a curse that's been placed upon the woman that goes all the way back to the fall. And what happened as a result of that curse is that the, that the hearts of the men and, and the, the hearts of the women have been reversed. So what you have is a wife who now seeks to have dominion and, and, and not be submissive to her husband. And you have husbands who are, who are oppressive and uh, abuse the leadership role that God has given them. And the result is you put two of those people together in one family, you've got conflict. And so you have that, that, that adversity from within. But you also have the outward enemy of the world. There's a world system that is... Uh, counter to you having a harmonious marriage and life together. You know, the, the pressures of the world are seeking to conform or mold or shape us in, into the image of the world rather than the image of Christ. The mantra of the world is running contrary to your family. The mantra is one of promoting adultery, promoting promiscuity, promoting role reversals today homosexuality, and other perversions that are there to rip apart the, the intimacy that we call marriage. And there's also an outward enemy that's working on, on your family and, and your marriage, and, and that is Satan himself. I believe that the prince of this world, as we're going to see in, in chapter 6, has families, just like your family, in its crosshairs. And he's there to do all that he can to divide you, and, and, and to bring you into temptation for your marriage to fall and ultimately separate. Because he knows this. If he can break apart your, your marriage, that can impact his church. And if he does that, that, that we saw a couple weeks ago, that could impact society itself around us. So it's a big deal that he would start focusing in on your family and attacking your family. Now, many Christian engaged couples are completely unaware of what they're getting into uh, when they marry. I don't know how many of them realize that they're about to enter into one of the most radical adjustments that they will face in their entire lives when they come together as husband and wife and say, I do. Because what happens is, typically, and I've counseled, I don't know, many, many, many couples have gotten married, that they come to marriage with kind of a fairy tale view of what marriage is all about. You know, I don't know how many times they might have watched Princess Bride. But uh, they got Wesley and they got Buttercup. And at the very end of the movie, I'm sure you're aware where they're, 
They hop on the two white horses and they ride off into the sunset together to do what? To live happily ever after. Well, that's the last chapter of the book and that's also the last chapter of the movie. But here's the question. Do they? What is on the other side of the rainbow? What is on the other side of the sunset? It never tells you whether Buttercup and Wesley live happily ever after on the other side of the sunset. And so what happens is this. After saying I do and after the wedding, uh, they make a, a radical shift from living a life of singleness to a life of being married. All of a sudden it's not, no longer first person singular. It's no longer me. It's now first person plural. It's now we. And we're trying to adjust to that we living together. Now, men, we're going to be speaking primarily to you this morning, and I want you to think about how life was before you got married. Some of you have to think way back, so I'm not too far. You know, I, I know in college, we didn't wash our clothes as often as they get washed today. In fact, the old rule was in the, in, in the dormitory was that as long as your socks didn't stick to the ceiling, you could wear them another day. And so that's how we lived back in those days. Uh, Want to go hunting? What would you do? You went hunting. You wanted to play softball? What would you do? You went out and played softball. You wanted to binge watch all weekend your favorite show? What would you do? You sat there and vegged and watched, watched this, the TV for 24-7. And then all of a sudden you got married. This beautiful young lady that God has given you. And with all the forces working against a happy marriage... You begin to learn what it means to, to live together in the reciprocal of we. Now what happens is this. God doesn't want your marriage to be filled with conflict. He wants your marriage to be happy. He wants your marriage to be joyful. He wants your marriage to be assigned to the world around you of, of the love of Christ for his church. It's all about glorifying God. And so what he's done is he's turned the curse of Genesis chapter 3 on the woman, into a blessing. <clears throat> and that blessing comes through salvation. And so in Ephesians 5.18, Paul directs Christians, we are not to get, be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but to be filled with the Spirit. And so when God saves you, the Spirit of God comes to indwell within you. Uh, your life begins to change as you order your life in conformity with the Word of God. And then all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to fill you. And then all of a sudden He transforms everything, including your relationships. The Spirit-filled life is not just a life uh, directed towards God. It's a life that transforms marriages. It's a life that's marked by submission for the wives. And we're going to see it's a life today that helps the husbands fulfill the role that God has put you into in, in, in your marriage. So, ladies, uh, t today's sermon is directed to your husband, those of you who are married. Last week, the message was directed to you, more personally. And I know for both, you know, the temptation is to sit back and think, well, I, I can cruise mentally through this thing because this isn't about me, it's about my husband, and so I don't have to listen. I can kind of do a timeout during this, during this message. But here's what I want you to do. I want to stir up your hearts. Ladies, listen carefully. Because if, if, if God has given you a man like this, who loves you the way Christ does the church, 
And you are a blessed woman. You have much to praise God for. But also, this is a, a great passage to help you wives to learn how to pray and come alongside your husband that he might be the man of God that he's called him to be. So where the God-ordained role for the wife is summed up just in one word. One word. Remember the word? What? Submission. So today, the role of the husband is summed up in one word, and that one word is love. And that's it. But before we get into the details of this passage... Uh, I want to take a step back for the pilots here. I want to kind of go up to about 10,000 feet. And I want to look down at, at, at chapter 5. And I want us to see the big picture of what we're about to look at looking down before we, we zero in on the details. I want you to notice, if you look at uh, the passage I just read, and also verses uh, 22 to 24, the, the verses that speak to wives. I want you to look at how much longer the passage is for us husbands and how short it is for the wives. That's interesting. I mean, wives, it's verses 22 to 24, three verses. And that's it. Then he stops. And then for the husband, he sums up the role of the husband in one word. Husbands, verse 25, love your wife. And, and then he spends eight verses after that, telling us how to do that. He doesn't tell the wives how to be submissive, but he, but he does tell, tell the husbands how to love their wives. Now, why is that? Well, why is the passage longer for men than women? Well, I don't think it's accidental. I, the Holy Spirit, when he, when he penned this uh, chapter, he knew you, he knew me, he knew our wives... And he knew what he was saying as he spoke to each of us. I believe, this is, I'm kind of, this is sanctified imagination here, but I believe that husbands are much more thick-headed than the wives. We are less sensitive than our wives. We are more set in our ways than our wives. Uh, more stubborn at times, slower to grasp things spiritually. And so what Paul is doing here in these eight verses, he's taking the hammer of the Holy Spirit and the chisel of of Scripture, and and he's working on us. He says, love your wives, and now this is how you do it. And he's chiseling at us to help conform us into the image of of a husband who loves their wives, to carve away until we finally get it. So in verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives your wives. Love your wives. Now, don't you find it interesting that Paul commands us as men to do something that we probably did when we got married? I mean, if, you, if I asked you men, why did you marry your wife? If you're like 87% of all other Americans uh, who, who answered a Pew uh, research poll, you would say, because I loved her. Now, hopefully you would say that, and she would want you to say that. That's one of the reasons why people marry, is because they they love a person. They want to marry them. Why is it we're commanded to do something that we already wanted to do from the beginning? Love our wives, and we did. Why is it, is Paul commanding us to do something that when we stood before a pastor or a justice of peace or wherever we were married, and we exchanged our vows, 
we committed ourselves to love one another for the rest of our lives. So that was part of the agreement, part of the pledge as we came together. And I think what Paul knows is the word love here conjures up many different meanings, uh, many different expressions, many different feelings, depending on the person who hears that word love. And I think what he, he wants to do for us is to clarify what the Bible means by the word love. I mean, for example, many of you already know this, but, but in the Greek language, there's at, least four la- there's at least four words that are used for love. Every time they're translated, we, we see in English, love, 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 love. But that, they're, they're four distinct words with four distinct meanings. For example, I mean, you have storge, which is a, a special word that's used to talk about a parent and child natural affection relationship. You love your, your children, parents. With that kind of love, it's a natural love that you have because they're yours. Then there's eros, and then there's that, 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 that erotic love or that deep, passionate, physical love. It comes out of the flesh. It's, it, it, it's a desire. It's sexual attraction. And we all know about that. That's eros. And then phileo, there, there, there's a fondness or brotherly love that we have. Good friends, we, we say we love you, you know, in, 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 a, in a very friendly way. It, 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 it's a warm affection. So here's the question, men. When you were married, think back when you got married, and you stood to, to exchange your vows, and you promised to love your wife for the rest of your life, rich or poor, all of that, what were you thinking about the word love that you were promising to your wife? Which one of those meanings? I promise to be your friend. I promise that for the rest of our life we're going to have a passionate, erotic love together as husband and wife. We're going to have a warm friendship. Just natural affection. Was that what was going through your mind? Or did you know? You know that... I, yeah, sometimes I try to remember when I got married, and this is the blur. I know, the, whole ser- the whole ceremony is a big blur. But see, it would be, because mine was 50 years ago. It, but did you feel affection for her? Did you feel friendship for her? You know, probably, we're all men, there was a degree of eros in, in, in the love that you have for your spouse. That spark we talk about that had to be there. I'm sure you, you felt like you wanted to be with her and, and have a friendship with her. But here's what's surprising. Paul does not use any of those words in discussing the kind of love that a husband is to have for his wife. Instead, we have a fourth word that comes up, which we, we, many of you know is agape, agapao. There's the verb form, the noun form is agape. And it's a strong word in the original, in fact, what's very interesting, it's so rare that outside the Bible it almost doesn't appear anywhere in the Greek language. It's a common word in the Bible to talk about God and His love for us. And so when God commands you men and commands me as a husband to love our wives, He uses this word, a divine love that we're to have for our wife. 
And it takes marital love into a spiritual realm. Far above emotions, far above feelings, far above passion. In fact, to drive the point home, to take the chisel and begin to to hack away at us with the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us two analogies. He gives us pictures in our mind because as men we need some help. Number one, the love of Christ in the church is the first picture. Christ loved the church. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. So to help us understand what it means to love our wives, we need to take a lesson and look at Christ and his relationship to the church. So we have a heavenly love, a divine love, a spiritual love. It's on an infinite level. You know, I, I don't want you to think that I'm preaching this passage having somehow obtained this kind of love in my marriage. Because I haven't. And Mary's here to give strong testimony to that, to that, that, that re- response. I mean, God is still perfecting me after 50 years to learn what it means to, to love Mary as Christ loves his church. But I'm preaching this passage realizing that uh, it's a love that not one of the men in this church have yet fully fleshed out. It's one area where we can all grow and mature in. So I preach this morning to my own heart. I preach to all of us men here who are married. And I preach to you singles who are here, men who are pondering what it means to be married that God might take his word and use it to help glorify himself through us. And I hope there isn't one husband here today who's tempted to think, well, I can see where we're going here. This isn't for me. This isn't me. This is you. This is you and your marriage. This is a love that God wants you to hear as a man. Before we go any further, let us pray that that we won't just leave here thinking that somehow uh, the Word's just going to kind of stay on the pages of Scripture, but it's going to be in our heart. And as we walk through those doors, it's going to be resonating in our heart. And hopefully by the help of the Holy Spirit, that we will all leave here as men with a heart, passionate, with a fresh resolve to put this passage into practice in our homes. And to do so for the glory of God. That's the highest motivation for God's glory. You say, well, Don, how do I do that? How do, we, how, how do we love like this? How do I love my wife as Christ loves the church? I believe the more you understand Christ, the more you're going to understand how to be a good husband. The more you understand the cross, the more you're going to understand what it means to be a good husband. We're his bride. To understand the church, you're going to understand more about your marriage. The more you gaze on Him, you'll gaze on love that He's calling you to in your home. So here's the question. How did Christ, how did Christ love the church? If you're to love your, your wives like Christ loved the church, how do you conduct yourselves in that manner? Well, as you look at the passage I just read, there's four action words that are, that, that, that are here that help us understand that. Four verbs for you grammar people. Uh, four verbs that tell us what it means to love our wives. And it's interesting that Paul uses action words and verbs to tell us what we need to be doing so we know how to love our wives properly. So, for example, in verse 25, you see, 
uh, he sacrificially gave. There, there, there's, there's the verb. Think of that. Number two, he sanctified her. Verse 26. He spiritually cleansed her. Verse 26. And then he presented her. Verse 27. And so, husbands, let's begin with the first one. If you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you must love her with a sacrificial love. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, the church that he came to this earth to save, he gave himself up for the church. Christ loved the church. Christ has always loved the church. Christ loved the church before there was a church. Christ loved the church back before the foundations of the world. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. So, so Christ and, and the Trinity, we were loved with an everlasting love before we even created it. That means that because Christ has eternally loved his church, he will always love his church. And he won't stop loving his church. He won't divorce his church. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church with an infinite permanent love. And he did so sacrificially. Before the foundations of the world, God loved a people. And he gave himself up for that people. A love where he would leave the loftiness of heaven. You know, have you ever just stopped to try and meditate on what that must have been like? Jesus Christ up in heaven and the angels and the worship and, and the praise that was being offered up. And, and, and in all of his glory, whatever that means, he left that. He came to this world. And we're going to see in a few weeks how he was born in a fly-infested stable. It was a love that would remain mute when they persecuted him, when they ridiculed him, when they stuck their finger in his face and said, you're, just, you're nothing more than an illegitimate son of Mary. He remained silent when they spat upon him. They took whips and beat him. But he loved his church. He loved it with a love that would lay down on a cross and he would voluntarily say, take my hands, put the spikes through them, because I have a people that I love. There's a people that I'm going to die for. There's a people, the church, that I love with an infinite love. And as they drove those spikes in his hands, and they drove those spikes in his, in his feet, and the spear in his side, he was overwhelmed with love for a church. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us, a, a, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so, I don't know if it happened exactly this way. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it. But I believe it was a love of the Son that looked right into the eyes, spiritually speaking, of the Father and said, now is the time. I'm willing to die joyfully for the church. And then he's nailed the cross and he's lifted up on the cross and then, and then with the spikes in his hands and his feet, He's saying to the Father, Father, I love the church. Strike me. Pour out your wrath on me. 
Let me take their sins upon me and, 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 and pour your vengeance, your wrath out upon me. I love my church. I'm dying for my church. And by the way, his affection is single-minded here. He doesn't say the world here. This is talk, he's talking about the church that he loves. Whom did Christ love? The church. Whom is it that he laid up his life for? The church. And Christ came to purchase a church, a bride, and, and he had to pay her dowry, which was the blood of himself. So Christ's love is sacrificial. It's full of grace. It's a love, man, that where you give up yourself for the sake of your bride. It suffers for the sake of the bride. And there's something even more amazing about Christ's sacrificial love. As we consider it being sacrificial, it was unconditionally sacrificial. I mean, Jesus loved and gave himself to a church that didn't deserve for him to give his life for that church. They were unlovely. This is an unlovely bride. Romans 5, 7 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still or yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for a beautiful bride. He didn't lay down his life for Cinderella or Princess Buttercup. He died for an ugly, wicked witch of a humanity, which we see as the people whom he, he, he came to rescue. He came to die for rebels who spurned him. A bride dressed in filthy, smelly rags. He came for her, full of their self-righteousness. People like you and people like me. You know what that means? That even if your feelings are not what they should be, even though the flame of passion in your marriage might have become nothing more than a mere flicker or a spark, you have a purpose that God has given you, and that is to love your wives as Christ has loved the church, and to do so sacrificially and unconditionally, even when she doesn't deserve it in your eyes. But that raises a question. How do we love someone who's unlovely? And I don't necessarily mean outwardly unlovely. It could mean that. But also inwardly unlovely. How can you give yourself, men, up sacrificially to a wife who rebels against you? How could, die, how, how could God die for his fallen crea- creation? By selfishly sacrificing himself. Christ's love with a love that cared for nothing about himself. I mean, Christ wasn't macho, beating on his chest and saying, hey, look at me, what, what a man I am. God doesn't say, I, I deserve the best, I only deserve the lovely, give them to me, I'll die for them. No, Christ was humble. And he only cared for the good of the church and the forgiveness of sinners. I would encourage you to read again Philippians chapter 2 and you look at that beautiful passage describing Christ and all of his humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Christ gave because he suffered, because he loved. So he loved He gave and he suffered. 
And his only consideration was for the unlovely bride that he came to save. You see how this displays how we're to love our wives? Men, you know, when you find this difficult, look to the cross. Look to Christ. Yes, men, we are to be the head of our homes. We're to lead our wives. We're to lead our families. But not in a dem- demanding way or as a, as a petty dictator. Too many Christian husbands know, they can know all the passages in Scripture about leading their wives. And they know very little about what it means to love their wives and how those two should go together. You're not filling your marriage commitment to love your wife if you ignore her, if you boss her around, if you ridicule her, call her names. Men, you're to give yourself to her sacrificially. You're to give yourself to her humbly and unconditionally. And here's the question, man. Do you love your wife that way? Is this your heart this morning to love your wife with that sacrificial, unconditional love? And what that means is it means that we're to put our own, our own wills, our own comfort, our own joys, our own priority, secondary to that of our wife. Making it a priority to do that which is good for her. And so when you think about sacrificially loving your wife, think about sacrificially loving her physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So sacrificially giving to her physically, caring for the needs of your family, men, providing for your home so that your wife does not have to worry about the necessities of life, being fretting about life itself and and the income, and the bills, and all that go with it. Because as a leader in your house, you're going to take on the responsibility of sacrificially caring for your wife. I mean, I've talked to men about, that might mean for some, the necessity of going out and getting a second job to take the burden off the wife so that the provisions of the house can be cared for. That's sacrificial, men, and that's sacrificially giving to your wife could be something as simple as making progress on, on the honeydew list. Whatever it is, I'm sure it means taking us out of the recliner and putting us into action in the home. It could be that your wife's sick. And then one of the, as you care for your wife sacrificially, you, you care for her in her sickness. You provide for her needs, whatever they are. And then also you sacrifice for her emotionally. And that means doing all that you can to encourage your wife and to build your wife up. Telling her how important she is to you. Thanking her for the blessing that she is to the whole family. It means creating an atmosphere in the house that doesn't frazzle your wife. And taking time from your busy day just to talk to your wife. That's sacrificial, by the way, for a lot of men. It's to sit and talk and listen to your wife. Because we talk two different languages. One's to the point and direct with few words, and one's much longer and more descriptive with great emotion attached to it. And I won't tell you which one's which. And that means sitting down and listening to your wife tell her about her day, her time with the kids, about what's going on in school. 
praising your wife as you listen to her, telling her she's doing a good job. She wants to hear that you appreciate her and you love her and you care enough to sit down and just listen to her. And that's why, thirdly, I would put sacrifice yourself spiritually to your wife as well. Give yourself of yourself up for her spiritual growth. Spend time with her. Take time out of your schedule. Spend time with her in the Word. And take time to be in prayer together as a family. Working to develop your spiritual, the spiritual climate of your home. Remember, this love is sacrificial. It comes with a cost. So it means that you're, going to have to, you're giving something up to, to do that which is right for her spiritually. You can't hibernate behind your computer. Vegetate in front of the TV. When you have a wife that's there that you could be opening up the Word of God to and, and, and together, spiritually, growing together. That means that even if you've been wronged by your wife, you would still sacrificially give to her. Men, there's no room for pouting, no room for giving her the cold shoulder. This is an unconditional love that we have for our spouse. And by the way, this has to come as an... It's not gonna, this isn't a feeling. This isn't some, oh, when I feel like it, then I will. No, because you'll never feel like it because it's sacrificial. So it's volitional. It comes from our redeemed will. And we're to love her sacrificially, unconditionally. And that takes initiative and resolve. That's hard. That's unnatural. And that's why it requires a spiritual man to be able to live this way in the home. A converted man, a spiritual man who's filled with the Spirit of God. Perhaps that's why Paul, you know, he's not done with this yet, man. He, he has another analogy here because he wants to make sure we really understand this. And in verse 28, look at it, he says, In the same way, husbands, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, love your wives, men, as you love your own bodies. Now, do we have any trouble with the second part? Loving our own bodies. Well, probably not, because that's usually what gets us into trouble as men, that uh, our own body speaks, and then we jump. And our own body says, uh, I want fun, I'm going to leave the family, and I'm going to go up in the mountains. I want to live a selfish life to listen to my own body. It means bring your wife with you. Love her as, love her as you do your own body. Include her in your life. See, yeah, now you're not me, we're we. There's a reciprocal here. We're one flesh. She is my body. And so when I, when, when I love her as I love my own body, she is my body. She shouldn't be like the family dog that we leave behind when we go off and do whatever we want to do up in the mountains. The ultimate example of sacrifice giving, he says, is to be willing to even lay down your life for your wife. Think about that. Of course, that might be easier to lay down your life for your wife than it would be to just to, to take her some cough medicine when she's sick. You know, occasionally you read in the, in the newspaper or on, online, you'll read about a husband that sacrificed his life for his wife. And there was an example just last week that I, I read about. 
uh, there, was a, there was a husband by the name of Jamar Robinson who was a principal in Atlanta, Georgia. And his wife was Anne Marie. And they decided they'd take a quick break and they went to Puerto Rico on a little short vacation. And they were out swimming by, by, by their hotel and uh, this riptide caught his wife and just sucked her right out into the ocean. And he watched her as she got smaller and smaller and began to disappear. And so what did he do? A good husband went after his wife. And he also got caught up in, in the riptide trying to save his wife's life. And they both ended up being pulled under the water and they both died. But that's a husband that, that understood what it meant to, to love, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Man, if you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church, it's not only sacrificial, it must also be sanctifying. That's the second part of this passage. Why did Christ give himself up for the church? So that the church might be sanctified. Ephesians 5.26 That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So men, if you love your wife as Christ loved the church, the charge for you is to sanctify your wife. You say, how do I do that? It's a sanctifier. The way Christ sanctified the church. And how, how, how did Christ sanctify the church? Well, through the Word. Through the Word of God, it says. And what He did is He set the church apart unto Himself. In the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, He progressively began to conform her more and more and more the church into the image of Jesus Christ, progressively. So we're talking about holiness and purity. Placed a new heart in every Christian, and, and so the Spirit of God indwells us. And so men, love your wives with a sanctifying love. But how? By the Word of God. I know that the Father forgave every sin of the church, and then He sanctified the church conforming her experientially more and more and more into the image of the groom, Christ himself. And he didn't stop cleansing him. And notice that in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, men, how do we do this? If you're to love your wife, love her sac sacrificially, put the good, her good above your own, and how do you do this? You're also to love her in a sanctifying way with the washing of water by the Word. And by the way, I don't think that's referring to baptism there. That's, that's talking about the Word and, and the water of the Spirit of God being used to make us into the image of Christ. And simply what that means is we're to lead our, we'll lead our family in such a way that we bring the Word to God to bear in our family and to our wife to our children, and then use the Word of God to strengthen them and build them up spiritually in the home. You know, when I talk to wives and they say, oh, I just pray, I wish God would give me a godly husband, a spiritual leader in the family. And you say, what does that mean? Typically, this is what they will say. Someone who will sit down and bring the Word of God and we'll have, we can pray together and read the Word of God together 
and grow together. And so, men, we're, we're called to protect our wives and her holiness and her purity. I mean, that, 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 that works its way into the, to the activities that we do as a family, the entertainment that we, we, we immerse ourselves into, uh, to protect her from the defilement of the world. Might include the selection of friends and who you hang out with and what you do as a couple. It definitely includes getting together for family worship at home where you're gathering together as the priest of your family. You're opening up the Word of God and reading it together, talking about applying it together and and praying together. It means taking the lead of your family on the Lord's Day and and not looking for excuses not to go to church. But it means as as the leader, the spiritual leader of your family, you're going to say, listen, this is the Lord's Day. We're going to go worship the Lord. Leading her into holiness that way and by encouraging her to read the Bible encouraging her to go to ladies Bible studies where she's going to be encouraged by other women in the church the sacrificial side might be watching the kids one night so she's freed up to be able to do that encourage her in her spiritual growth and to bring all the means of grace to play in her heart so as we close this morning I want you men just to look around this room when I went to law school, I remember my first day in law school, I was in the big lecture class, several hundred guys, mainly guys in those days. Uh, there were a few ladies. And I remember Cradiville was a professor, and he says, and it was shaped just like this. He says, just look around this room, he says. Look to your left. Look to your right. Because the person to your left or right is not going to be here next semester. Half of you are going to be gone. Wow, that put a real fear in my heart at that time. But the same is true here spiritually. Look to your left, man, and look to your right. Look at the families in this church. If we statistically apply the, the, the rule of divorce to our church, half the marriages, half the marriages here are going to end up shipwrecked, broken up. I mean, if, let me, here, here's the odds. 50-50. If you knew if you got in your car today and you're heading home and you knew ahead of time there was a 50-50 chance that that car was going to break down in the middle of nowhere, what would you do? If you knew that you were on an airplane during the holidays and you were told by the pilot that you had a 50-50 chance of getting to your destination because of the plane you were riding in, what would you do? If the COVID vaccine comes out and you says you have 50-50 chance that you might die if you take it, what are you going to do? I mean, most of us would be shocked and we'd change our behavior simply based on a 50-50 statistic. We would take action and do all that we could do to reverse those odds in our lives. And what I want to say is how much more are marriages? This isn't a time, man, to be passive. This is a time to stand up, to love your wife, and to lead your family. It's time for you to lead lead your, your family and love your wife sacrificially, giving up yourself for her, and then with a sanctifying love that'll do all that you can to bring the word to bear that she might be in the image of Christ more and more. Because, men, we're going to have to one day give an account for our family before God himself. 
Your little flock is your family. My, my little flock is my family and this little flock here. And, and for both of these flocks, I'm going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for you and for my wife in addition to myself. To the extent that you will love as Christ loved his church, you're going to have a God-blessed home. It's going to be a home where God's going to be glorified. He's going to radiate the beauty of Christ to all those around you. Choose to love your wives. Make it an act of your will. Do so not because she has earned it or she in any way is, uh, has, has, deserves you, you, you sacrificing yourself. Love her anyway. Whether you feel like it or not, love her. It's, it's a commandment of God. One of the common complaints I hear during marital counseling, counseling goes something like this. You know, I ask, why are you here? And they say, well, we don't love each other anymore. We fell out of love. Uh, I don't feel like I'm in love with my wife. I don't feel like I'm in love with my husband. We've fallen out of love. And what they're saying is, is we've chosen not to love and we let our emotions control our lives and I no longer feel, like, feel anything like phileo. There obviously is no romantic relation or any friendship or family relationship or eros. There's definitely no erotic or, or, or passionate part of our relationship left. And so we're for some of you older people, you're, you're stuck with the lyrics of, of the Righteous Brothers who, who sang simply, you've lost that love and feeling. And what happened to it? It's gone, gone, gone. Where did it go? Well, I don't know. I don't have any control over it. It's just gone. It was there, but now it's gone. I fell out of love. No, you've chosen not to love. You let your feelings lead you in the wrong direction. You put conditions upon your love. Love her because it is the most God-glorifying thing that you can do as a husband is to love your wife in the covenant relationship that He's placed you in. Not only will that bring joy to your, to, your, to your wife and to your family, but also it's going to bring a whole new dimension in, 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 into your spiritual life as you glorify God. You know, I sat down with a husband recently and he told me that I, I don't even have a thread of feelings for my spouse anymore. I don't have one ounce of affection, one ounce of attraction. There's nothing left in this marriage. So what do you, how do you respond according to, to Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 25? What, what answer do you give to that? I mean, the world says, well, gee, I'm so sorry for you. Maybe you can go out and find somebody else that you like better. That's not the answer. No, the answer is that uh, God has commanded you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. This is agape love. This is an act of your will. And here's what happens experientially. If you will love your wife with a sacrificial, sanctifying love, even when you've lost all the emotions that go with the relationship, and you do so with the right heart, you know what? Those feelings come along like a caboose. 
and pretty soon the, the eros comes back. Pretty soon the phileo comes back, or the storge comes back. But it begins, first step is the act of obedience. Now you might be thinking that agape love sounds kind of mechanical. It doesn't seem like a Richard Gere, Sandra Bullock kind of love. And it's not. It's a Jesus Christ kind of love. And so I would encourage you to take your heart and your minds off the romantic comedies and put them on Jesus Christ and the cross. You begin to understand what it means to truly love your spouse. Let me just simply close by just reminding us, marriage is not about you. Marriage is about God. Marriage is about His church. In fact, let me just read to you the the very end of the chapter, chapter 5, verse 31. It... uh, This should transform the way you live your your family life, these last verses in chapter 5. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What do we call that? Marriage. And they will get married. This mystery, now he's calling marriage a mystery, something that we couldn't figure out on our own. We have to go to Scripture to understand what it is that God's telling us about marriage. So, This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, did you ever think about that? We're talking about marriage, the two becoming one flesh, and Paul's saying it's not about the two of you getting married, it's about Christ and his church. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so as you men learn to love your wife more and more, sacrificially, in a sanctifying way, you will be displaying the glory of God and the glory of the love of Christ for His church to a world around you. You see, your marriage is more bigger than you. It's about the church. It's about Christ. It's about the glory of God. And may that motivate us to be the men who truly love our wives. And so, Father, we close today thanking you once again for your word. Uh, You speak to us as men in a a manly way, and we thank you, Lord, that your spirit knows us, each one of us, as husbands. And we pray, Father, that you would help us uh, have the resolve, the, the will, stir our hearts, convict us of our sins. Oh, Lord, may we go to our wives and learn what it means to, to love them sacrificially. To do that which is best for them because they're the bride that you have given us. And to do so in a sanctifying way that our wives are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ because of our relationship to them and the word that we bring. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.